Hello and welcome to Diversity Podcast. My name is Julia Streets and today I'm joined by two highly esteemed guests. The first is Andy Woodfield, who is the lead partner for the International Aid Development Consulting Practice at PwC in the UK. He is also part of the People Consulting Competency, which is responsible for development and delivery of leadership culture, talent and inclusion programmes, both within PwC and beyond to its clients. Andy is the sponsoring partner for the firm's inclusive business network, Glee at PwC, and is deeply passionate about diversity and inclusion, regularly being called upon to speak, and most notably on gender equality at the UN headquarters in New York. A trustee for a number of charities, including Diversity Role Models, Action Break Silence and Opening Doors, Andy is also called upon to judge a number of awards, including the We Are the City's Rising Stars, and the National Diversity Awards. Andy, thank you for joining us. Andy is joined by Michael Olitervo Murphy. Michael is a customer experience leader at Mercer UK and Ireland, and he offers 15 years of experience in international operational management, a career truly centered on customer service, customer design, customer experience, and indeed customer satisfaction. In addition to the day job, Michael is the co-chair of Mercer's UK LGBT plus ally chapter, and his focus is on supporting diversity and inclusion goals to increase equality and awareness around inclusion, which is all focused on engagement, education and empowerment. Michael, thank you for your time to be here. So to start the show, we always invite our guests to spend 60 seconds talking about your own organisations, what you're up to, and then we move on to a further debate. Andy, let me start with you uh, from your perspective at PwC. I'd say diversity and inclusion is become a real obsession of ours it's something that we work on every day it's something that we i would say we don't have it fixed um but we've tried almost everything um and hopefully i'll be able to share some of the things that have worked we have 13 different people networks so as well as our amazing glee at pwc which is for gays lesbians and everybody else which is what the glee stands for Uh, we have um, a gender balance network um, a ability and disability network, um, many, many networks um, on a range of different topics to, I guess, firstly create a safe space for people, mm-hmm. but also then to engage the majority of people in a new level of education, understanding to be more open-minded and respectful so that we can truly create an environment where people can be themselves. Because as Stonewall would always tell you, when you can be yourself at work, you perform better. Mm-hmm. We um, we are decent people, but sometimes people need um, to understand a different perspective, to understand someone else's truth and to understand the impact of some of their views and opinions on others. Um, and we desperately want people to not act like they're successful and not act like they're happy at work, but to be successful and happy at work and to be themselves. Um, so it's not just that we're, we're nice people, we're doing it for business reasons, mm-hmm. because we know that if people can truly be themselves, their emotional energy and capacity is on the job. It's not on their performance of pretending to be happy or pretending to be successful. And one of the things we've talked a lot about on the on the podcast series is about 
you know, when things are aligned around a business corporate intention, that's when you really drive change. Michael, let me let me turn to you. So, so I mean, busy with the Ally Network. Tell us about the, the Allies. So I guess the uh, the really important part of any LGBT network, and in fact, any DNI network, is that you're driving diversity. You're celebrating diversity. Diversity. You're helping people to who are from different backgrounds. Uh, cultures, faiths, religions, behaviours, genders, sexualities and, and every other difference between people to come together and to feel comfortable together. But the really important part, and I think particularly in a large corporation like Mercer, is to drive inclusion as well. Mm-hmm. And so for every colleague who may be part of the LGBT network because they are LGBTQ or any other part of the gender or sexuality spectrum, there is at least three to five times more allies who are straight folks who have a connection with with, uh, LGBTQ network. It might be a family member, it might be a friend, it might be a personal experience, it it might just be because they are a liberal, progressive, open-minded colleague. But it's really, really important that those people and the voices of our allies are respected and heard because they make a huge difference to us. And and within sort of large organisations, I can I can see the network effect. I mean, we see this a lot in business, which is you know kind of opening up the networks. And and Andy, you talk about your thirteen networks and and the with the ally network as well. Is is do do you see evidence of that driving organisational change, or is it does it tend to go, you know, one le- one or two layers beyond, and then it sort of peters out of it? How do you how do you push that out even further? I think it starts at the top. So very proud of, of our UK CEO, uh, UK and Ireland CEO, Fiona Dunsire. She really, really does care. And, you know, we're, we're, we're an organisation with a lot of actuaries and financial advisors. And so numbers are very important to us. Mm-hmm. And one of the really important numbers is uh, putting numbers against what we're going to do in terms of diversity and inclusion. So to double the number of women in senior um, high-grade roles within the next three years to double the BAME population within our organisation, not just to get the people through the door, but to encourage them to stay. I think there's some really important tasks to be done there. So Fiona, uh, as the CEO, and uh, our global CEO, Julio, are very visible and regularly uh, discuss uh, in their own briefings, at events as they go around the different offices and to make sure that this stays alive. For example, Fiona opened our In This Together conference that we recently hosted at the Tower of London and she hummed and hard about sharing a a personal story um, that she entitled Lesbian Shoes. For those who attended, they'll know the story I'm talking about. Um, It was really amazing, though, that she wanted to share as an art from an ally's perspective how it felt to be labelled. And so Fiona drives that from the top down. But it's also from the bottom up. So uh, just today I was doing the the induction with all of our new recruits, young and old, many different ages, many different backgrounds. And so right from when people join the organisation, as well as hearing about compliance and HR and finance, that we include a section on diversity and inclusion to encourage people to be active from the day that they join the organisation. So I guess it's bottom up as well as top down. And, and 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 getting through that middle layer because I completely sort of un- understand that the, the the leadership is incredibly important, and the appetite for change or going into very diverse organisations by you know kind of young talents coming through. There's always that middle layer which, which needs to be sort of cracked through. Uh, Andy, from your best practice uh, of, of of driving change and, and working with those networks, where do you see the sticking points, and and where do you see the moments where middle management 
appreciate that they can perform better and get better results if they just open their mindsets and change their behaviours. I think um, we notice a big change, certainly with the Glean Network, when we um, we kind of launched that in early 2012. And prior to that, we had an LGBT network, um, which was a great network and it had been around for about 10 or 15 years, I think. Um, primarily sort of kind of a campaigning network um, almost against the firm to make sure that we had equality in our policies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we um, we were very proud at that stage to be at the forefront of um, equal policies for same-sex partners. Um, but then that kind of campaigning needed to change. Um, we got to the point where it was mostly gay men and it mostly involved going out. And surprisingly, there weren't that many women that wanted to go out uh, every night with gay men. Right. Um, so um, we changed the whole thing up and made it an inclusive business network. That really um, brought many more women into the group. Um, we made sure that it was truly inclusive. So you didn't have to be gay to be part of that network. You just had to care about the value of difference in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And we made Almost it... the ally concept. Yeah, absolutely. So you didn't need a label. You know, you didn't need to label everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need to be respectful. And it was about personal, professional development and growth. So we gave people an opportunity to grow professionally, but also to meet their clients. So we did this... With um, we ran all of our events are open to everybody, regardless of whether they work for PwC or not. Um, and we deliberately invite our client teams and their clients to come to our events. And we do joint events with our clients. So that, in terms of the permafrost, as you describe it, it meant that people that were kind of perhaps um, at the sort of senior manager level, um, only really interested in their career progression, maybe. I would say they are, you know, they are interested in our people because that's all we've got. Mm-hmm. Um, they got more engaged in the topic because they could meet their meet clients and they could see opportunities from it. And then they realized that it's okay to be themselves mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. their clients are being themselves and we're encouraging it. So it's not, um, you know, it's not a secret club right. where they would have to go and, um, you know, suddenly everyone knows, you know, you're, you're, you're gay um, or you're bisexual or whatever. It's about being yourself in order to, grow in your profession and to create business opportunities by connecting with like-minded people and your clients so suddenly it's a hell of a lot more relevant also then it helps to bring in um i mean i think a lot of lgbt networks in particular are kind of preaching to the choir as it were um, and a lot of networks preach to the choir mm-hmm. but it's not you know it's, it's like with um with women's networks so nothing is ever going to change around gender balance unless you include men. Um, so one of the things that I've, I've really enjoyed is, is this this uh, focus on trying to chip away at the bit in the middle. It, it's widely understood that when middle management become enlightened to the need for change, then uh, we could see a tipping point. However, it's not easy. You know, you have to change some of those entrenched behaviours. Can you share some insights into how you've tackled that problem? I think, I think the stand still stands out for me is reverse mentoring. So we um, have run a programme in our consulting business for the last, I mean, it's. I think we started in 2015. Um, it, it's been really successful. So all, all of our partners and leaders then at all levels are matched with someone at a junior level to them mm-hmm. who is either a different gender or different ethnic, either a different gender or different ethnic background to them. They spend a year together 
um, in initially quite structured conversation, but essentially to let the senior person understand what the lived experience of the junior person is in our firm. Mm -hmm. um, it's been remarkably powerful at creating advocates um, for change. Um, to give you an idea of the kind of impact. So in the past, I might have been sat in a resourcing meeting about who's going on to what projects or a meeting about um, who we might recruit next or a meeting about uh, moderation of talent in terms of their performance ratings. And I would all, I would always find myself saying, oh, hang on a minute. Have you noticed that you're, you're talking about a bunch of white guys? Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. why is it that everyone who's kind of different has got a lower rating? And it was kind of getting a bit boring that I'm always in a room full of people, men and women, and I'm the one having to constantly raise this. And everyone's like, oh, Andy's off again on mm -hmm. his old diversity thing. Um, and it was getting kind of tedious. After this program launched, I swear to God, I didn't have to say a word. There were other partners in our business who were in there first saying, hang on a minute, this isn't right. Let's change that. Did you know this? Did you know that? Um, it was amazing. What we found was that most of our senior leaders got really passionate about gender equality, for example, um, when their daughter went to work. Right. So I, it's crazy, isn't it? So mm -hmm. I'm like, well, we can't we can't afford to wait for everyone to have a daughter who came to work. Right. So let's give everyone a younger person from our firm and share their lived experiences. So it's the great thing about it is it's emotional learning, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. intellectual and logical learning. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what really gets people and then their behavior change. Um, and people talk a lot about sort of coaching and role models and, and mentoring, et cetera. I mean, Michael, just responding to, to what Andy was just saying, is, is this something that you've been looking at as well in terms of the dynamics of showcasing and collaborative working to shift change? It kind of takes me back to, um, so I spent seven years heading up customer service for Virgin Group globally. And Richard Branson's ethos was about flipping the usual business model on the head. And he said that if you have happy, engaged employees, they deliver delight to customers. Delighted customers spend more, stay longer, save you a fortune on marketing, and will ultimately deliver the shareholder return. And the point is that if I want my people to love my customers and my clients, they need to empathize. And so what we're doing with this reverse mentoring approach is really great because we're not seeing the middle management as the problem and backing these uh, kind of uh, um, male, white kind of seniors into a, a corner. But what we're saying is that we acknowledge that there is an issue that needs to be fixed, but let's empathize. And if they don't know how to approach a lesbian member of their team and say, how was your weekend? Is it your partner or your girlfriend? I don't know what to say then let's not see it as a problem. Let's empower and engage these people. And I think this is this is the brilliant part of reverse mentoring and it has such a positive effect. And I, and I do wonder whether actually in some of the LGBT networks, is, is there is the, has that shifted into being much more open about inviting more people in? And, and, and I'm really kind of interested by the whole um, inviting your clients into that. Are you seeing more demand from clients to demonstrate that you're thinking more broadly about diversity and inclusion as an organisation? Or, or is it just a, uh, it's good to know you've got a scheme? I think there is a mixture. There is, there is definitely um, potentially some box ticking going on, but there, there is also some of our clients who are pushing quite hard uh, to see demonstration of our commitment and of tangible results. But 
the most progressive and I guess the most visible part that that I see it and, and it, it's um, back to the point around that that ice cold frozen middle layer that there's a lot of people who don't know what to do mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they almost remove themselves from the corporate organization so um, you know I, I realized that there's a, there was a lot of discomfort about uh, some of our clients didn't know how to talk to us. We didn't know how to talk to some of our corporate clients about, do you, do you just chat about your wife when you're a woman and just suddenly slip it into the conversation? Mm-hmm. So we we decided to run a series of um, events that we're calling Unbundling. So we had Unbundling Trans, Unbundling um, Lesbians, Unbundling LGBT and Families happening next week in our Woking office and we're live streaming it across multiple offices and again, getting clients to come in and listen in, share, ask questions and making an open, honest, safe space where those who don't know can ask because it's not just about a safe space for lgbtq folks it's also about a safe space for those who are on the periphery of the allies who say i would love to be able to support this person in my team or have this conversation with my client i don't know if i can use the word queer or not right yeah and and, and actually language comes at the essence of, of change so much I mean, again through, throughout the podcast we've been hearing say people say you know you need to be quite brave to admit that you don't know and uh, for individuals, and, and you almost, it's almost binary where people go, I want to engage or I don't want to engage. And there's a push and pull about going, it's not that scary. And, and that mindset shift that, that kind of comes with it. Are, are you doing lots and you see initiatives that are, are really tackling that core question about language and, and tackling the, the uncomfortable conversations? Andy? Yeah, so we, um, we have a program called Colour Brave, which is about talking about race, mm-hmm. in particular, what the barriers are for black women and men in business and in our business specifically. Um, and that came from a piece of social media that I did a while ago when where my entire social media audience who will happily retweet a pair of Louboutin shoes uh, wouldn't retweet anything about race. And I, when I engaged them, they... They said uh, in a poll, 70% of them said that they were scared to talk about race. So I think this idea of um, stories of conversation, of creating safe space for conversation in order to bring the majority of people into what sometimes feels like a minority conversation is really important. Um, And being, you know, our Colour Brave initiative is about being brave to talk about colour and race. Um, and being brave enough to get it wrong, but being respectful enough to listen to the other person's truth mm-hmm. and understand them um, and to to really take action. So from a race perspective, you know, this issue of progression for black women and men in British business has kind of been observed for a very long time, um, but it needs dealing with. Right. And if yeah. we're to deal with this kind of issue... As a white guy, I have to shut up and listen and understand and try to learn something, and I need to take action. So one of the things I chose to do um, was to do a series of carpool kind of interviews with a number of senior black women and men to really understand what those issues are, what those barriers are, so I can learn, but also to try to share that learning. And if we are not prepared to create the space for conversation, we will not learn, and then we will not have an opportunity to implement what we have learned. So it starts with that space and that learning and the conversation. And are you, are you finding that the different networks are learning from each other as well? I, I, I wonder whether there's progress in isolation sometimes, and 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 can we see evidence where 
um, you know, the LGBT networks uh, that may well be in some regards heralded as the great progressors. You know, if you look at the kind of the journey that we've been through, um, that, that can actually show some best practice to questions around race. And, and, and are we seeing some cross-learning in that? I think in an organisation, you know, the, the uh, what I do uh, in, in terms of the LGBTQ work is secondary to my day job. And I have an incredibly supportive boss who happens to report to the CEO who allows me to do what I need to do because he understands the value that it brings to our organisation. But I very quickly realised that you, you can spin in the dark, you know, kind of shouting and trying to influence and any larger organisation, corporates with multiple offices, um, we're fortunate enough to be part of um, multiple groups. So working with our sister companies, Oliver Wyman, Guy Carpenter and Marsh, allowed us to do the In This Together event where we wouldn't have probably been able to do that in such a short space of time had we just been working as Mercer. But also then to work across the different business resource groups, to work with uh, Vine, our, our uh, women, uh, as was the Women's Network, the... Um, the growing professional network that was the young professional network, our AIM access and, and disability network and our BAME network. Actually, uh, there is a lot of common issues that we face. And again, there is a there is a lot of allies who want to work with us, want to help us that actually don't know what they need to do or, or how they can engage. Mm -hmm. So by sharing, I think you can pick on up on some useful advice and I think as well what you see is it's not just doing it within your own company you go along to most events uh, uh, you know evening events lunchtime events and they are open to other organizations and, and you find yourself in a competitor's office mm -hmm. listening on a topic that is something that your organization wants to learn on it's very nice to see that that humbling effect of DNI actually removes the competitive spirit yes. because um, where we can share a success that we've had between businesses rather than keeping it as intellectual property mm -hmm. is something that we, I think we should all be proud of. So that, that I think is really important to do the inside-outside thing, but mm -hmm. also to do the intersectionality thing. So we, we for a long time, um, kind of came to the conclusion that we couldn't run LGBT-only events. Um, because, so as a gay man, I am a gay man, but I'm also... You know, you know, I'm also a partner in PwC. I'm also lots of other things. I've got other responsibilities, and I, I and many other people will manifest um, into many different networks. So whether you're a parent, a carer, whether you have a disability, I've yet to meet anyone who doesn't struggle at some level with mental health. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we take all these strands individually. Um, and often there are events that are designed for individual elements of who we are as human beings, but that's not how we are. So we we made a decision a few years ago that all of our events would be in conjunction with another one of our people networks. So we would do work with our BME network, um, with our other faith networks around faith and sexuality, um, with our uh, mental health network, mm -hmm. um, and also then to do that with a client so there's collaboration with the client. So it's internal, external and multi-strand. So you don't just get stuck in your corner as an LGBT network. Right. Yes. Um, it's yes. much, we found it to be much more powerful. And that way, to come back to your question, we were able to um, share our platform that we'd created with our Glee network, with the other networks that maybe weren't quite as 
um, out there. I mean, obviously, you get a bunch of gay folks together and their allies. They're all very energetic and they want to change the world. And mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. and we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we realized that we'd created a great platform. We had amazing sponsorship as did the other networks, but they hadn't always activated that sponsorship in terms of executive level sponsorship in the way we had. So we were able to pull them in together by doing events together um, and working more effectively together to change things. It's a great example with the, um, you know, what what we've achieved as LGBTQ networks uh, and, you know, marriage equality, we kind of, we've ticked the box. We're pretty well almost in the inner circle now. Oh, great. You know, so mm-hmm. we, we can feel like we've made it. But when you think about admitting to mental health issues in the workplace mm-hmm. at any level or uh, whether it's you or your family member and that it is impacting your ability, there is still so much stigma associated with certain issues. And I think um, it, we may have to think quite far back in the UK when it felt so uncomfortable to be to be LGBTQ. You know, certainly uh, my early career in corporates left me with a very bitter taste in my mouth and I left corporates for a good 15, 20 years mm-hmm. to work in technology and, and startups where there wasn't any of that bias and, and that discrimination. And I need to remember back to how it felt uh, in that scenario, because this is in reality how it feels perhaps for those with mental illness, mm-hmm. uh, mental health issues, sorry. And so in order to support um, our perhaps newer, um, uh, you know, people groups, we need to think back to how we made that early progress. Yeah. And I think the energy that we have now comes from the progress we made. And for for the newer resource groups, it's really, really hard slog that they're making tiny, tiny steps and they, they can't see light at the end of the tunnel. So I think it's so, so important that I love the idea of partnering yeah. uh, always with events. And, you know, we've got a lot of interest in mental health uh, we realise that in Mercer, it's one of the, if not the largest reason for uh, absenteeism in the workplace. And so there's a real business cost to it as well. And it's, so it's it's in the business's benefit to fix, uh, you know, uh, an awareness and to make things, uh, you know, much more comfortable for people. So let's take a quick pause there and hear what data and detail Robert and Cynthia have found. But just before we do, I wanted to get a bit of housekeeping out of the way. If you enjoy Diversity Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Could you please give us a review or a rating? Because it really does help promote the show to a wider audience. So, Robert, Cynthia, I believe you've been looking at the importance of mental health in the workplace this week. That's right, Julia. Working conditions and the working environment can have a huge impact on mental well-being and equally someone's mental health can have a big impact on their ability to do their job well. According to the charity, the Mental Health Foundation in the UK, around one in seven people experience mental health problems in the workplace. Women in full-time employment are nearly twice as likely to have a common mental health problem as men who are employed full-time. And the charity also says that one in every eight days taken off for sickness can be attributed to a mental health condition. And so clearly there are benefits of both the employee and the employer when we invest in mental health. Absolutely. We know employees will benefit directly from investments in their mental well-being. However, it's worth pointing out that the Mental Health Foundation also reckons money spent on mental health support can save UK businesses themselves up to £8 billion per year. I'd say that would be money well spent. Mental health is a subject we haven't yet covered on the show, but we do have plans to bring it to our discussions in a future episode. Just a final point before we go, over the last few weeks, a lot of our guests have talked about the importance of mentoring. To back this up, the 2016 Deloitte Millennial Survey suggests Having a great mentor is a key factor in improving employee engagement for the 18 to 25 year old age group. 
The survey said that millennials planning to stay with their employer for over five years were twice as likely to have had a mentor than not. For those planning to leave their employer within two years, over a third were unhappy with their mentoring they had received. Again, it seems as though proper investment in staff development is a price worth paying. Indeed, and thank you very much, Cynthia and Robert. So if you want to find out more about any of that research, you can find the links on our website, www.diversitypodcast.com. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the, the whole LGBTQ plus uh, spectrum, if you like. Are there some areas that are more progressive and more advanced than others? Are, are there discrepancies? I think the, uh, the reality is in many organisations, and Mercer included, that uh, it started out as, as quite a gay-centric or, uh, fo- focus to achieve gay rights. And somewhere along the way, um, whilst we've strapped on various additional letters... I'm not so sure that um, that we have ensured that we have been fully inclusive within our LGBTQ chapter. So, for example, at Mercer, what we realised was, uh, following our Unbundling Lesbian event, um, we realised that a lot of our women didn't, uh, our lesbian and bisexual colleagues, didn't feel um, connected uh, enough to be part of the network. They didn't see relevance for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this, this was interestingly the same whether you were um, uh, single, um, civil partnered or married, or with, with kids. Um, and it almost felt uh, that we were um, excluding uh, our colleagues. It was somewhat uncomfortable that when we drilled down into this and realised that what we needed to do was um, we wanted to connect uh, up our colleagues and make them feel more empowered. So what we needed to do was to reach outside of our organisation and we were working with a, a, an organisation called LB Women, which is a, a network exclusively for uh, lesbian and bisexual women um, to mentor, to network, a lot of it online and virtually, and to, to encourage and support empowerment. So we realised partnering with an organisation that actually encouraged exclusion didn't feel like it was fitting our diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion approach. Mm-hmm. And that felt very uncomfortable. But as a network, we talked, we discussed with our LGBTQ colleagues and our allies. And we realised that for the greater good, that this was a step that we needed to take. Um, within the first few months, we've seen some great progress. We've seen uh, uh, our active involvement in the network, uh, attending our regular events and our monthly meetings increased to the extent that at our last meeting, women outnumbered men, which was a really happy moment for us. Um, it means that women can, uh, in their own time, if, if you're a busy working mum uh, and you don't necessarily have time in the workplace, that, that this network allows people to connect outside of the work time as well and to work at their own pace to address their own concerns and fears. And, and was that because it was much more subject matter driven in terms of a- aspects around being lesbian, bisexual, parenting, or being bisexual, civil partnership, um, you know, got those individual kind of cases almost? So I think it's, uh, it's something that we see more coming through with millennials who are less inclined to assign themselves with fixed, rigid gender and sexuality brackets. Uh, a colleague of mine, a female colleague of mine, who has always dated and slept with women, doesn't necessarily feel comfortable to label herself as a lesbian because she just doesn't feel comfortable to label herself. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be quite a trend with, with uh, the millennial generation who are much more comfortable 
perhaps our gen- my generation, uh, uh, as a previous generation, who faced greater degrees of discrimination, are proud to wear the gay, the lesbian, the bisexual or the transsexual badge. And for younger generations who perhaps ha- uh, were born into a more progressive society, that's less important for them and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, there, and there's a grey area in between, which is, you know, for example, my experience is, you know, actually as, as a gay woman in the city, is that I would just wanted to keep my head down. Uh, I worked in the world of capital markets. I just wanted to get the job done and be known for the job that I was doing. Uh, and then obviously I think now about the context of uh, being role models, et cetera. But actually that there is a... Um, there, there are different dynamics at play. You know, there's, there's sometimes there's a fluid definitions, as we're saying, and, and sometimes it's about a willingness to to engage in relevance as, as an organisation as well. And in, in the context of all that that fluidity, um, and, you know, we're talking about diversity and inclusion in its, in its purest sense, you know, right the way across the board. What, what do you see as being, um, you know, uh, for, from a leadership, when you're leading a, a dynamic organisation where all of these elements come into play what are the key things that people should be thinking about in terms of uh, inclusive leadership i think um it's really interesting so i think everyone's um rightly obsessed with trying to get a diverse workforce so recruitment policies pay equal pay etc etc to try to make sure you encourage um diversity um or diverse looking employees so you have a kind of a lovely portfolio of pictures that you can put in your annual report. Oh, yeah, so so it's great to have a diverse looking um, set of staff or employees. Um, but are you really allowing them to be different? Um, so so I see these things as kind of like a maturity level that you've got a diverse looking um, uh, organization, but are you allowing them to be diverse? If you're allowing them to be diverse, um, you really need a different kind of leadership. So our traditional leadership is quite hierarchical. Mm-hmm. It's kind of based on lots of good theory that was developed around the time of Henry Ford. Nice. Um, it was based mm-hmm. on sort of intellectual capital. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're led by me because I know more than you um, and I'm higher in the hierarchy than you, therefore you will comply. And that that kind of leadership is great um, with a homogenous workforce. Mm-hmm. So you could have a diverse looking organisation as long as they all act the same. So you could have diverse looking people, mm-hmm. but they must all act the same as a homogenous workforce. And then the traditional leadership that we currently have today in the majority of organisations works fine. Uh, it's not, but that's not really diversity and inclusion. Um, so if you really want to embrace that diversity, you need more of a social capital-led leadership rather than an intellectual capital-led leadership. And that, for me, is a leadership which is um, more about bringing people together, about creating movement, about being comfortable with not having all the answers, about being comfortable with failure, about learning together, and more leading from the middle and and being led by a leader because you're inspired by them, because they have a strong sense of purpose. They want to change the world. It's exciting. It's imaginative. And, and they're prepared to fail because they're prepared to learn from that failure quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's much more inspiring for everybody, not just the amazing millennials who want to be driven by purpose. Actually, we all want to be driven by a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's absolutely critical that we look beyond just recruiting a diverse workforce to making sure that a diverse workforce can thrive in an organization and they're not just taught um, to pretend to be um, straight white men, that they are allowed to be themselves and embraced um, and that requires an inclusive leadership. Otherwise, the organization is going to go down the toilet. 
which is a perfect place to end it on a rather depressing note about going down the toilet. But but I think the point is really well made about, uh, and and this is this has been a really great conversation because time and time and time again we come back to the this kind of central issue around how does that middle management layer change and inspire and inspiring from the middle I think is, is incredibly important and, and you're right I mean everybody wants to get up in the morning with a sense of purpose and with a sense of energy and, and what better way to do that and, and, and every any and every initiative that, that focuses on that is ultimately going to drive change so so thank you both I know you're both exceptionally busy not only do you do this uh, in a, aside from your day jobs which is extraordinary but you've taken the time to be with us today Andy, Michael thank you very much indeed This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Robert Pinto Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity, remember to give us a rating or review in iTunes. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.